0: To do, doing things is what I like to do. Things are what I like to do. No twiddling of ums, I get everything done.
1: I'm slightly more productive now than previous because I'm slightly more efficient than I previously was.
0: Doing things is what I like to do. Yes!
1: Doing things is what I like to do. Yes! Dunkin' Donuts. It's how everyday people get things done every day. America runs on Dunkin'.
0: Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is the chairman and CEO of one of the great agencies that this country's ever produced, Hill Holiday, and of course, I'm talking about Karen Kaplan. Welcome, Karen.
2: Hey, thanks, Matt.
0: How are you? Oh, We are absolutely hanging in there. So (laughs) I want to start in an unusual place, and you're a Boston gal, and we were talking about the Red Sox and you know, all the things that we love, miss, and we'll get back to soon. Boston also has a very challenging history around race. And we're at an interesting moment in time in this country uh, with what has been happening, just happened again in Minneapolis. Uh, But this is not restricted to those incidents. We know this has been a recurring systemic, really, really, really big problem in this country. And I was struck by the amount of real estate that you devoted on the Hill Holiday homepage to your role and responsibility in looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'd love to go back to your thought process when you sat down to write that letter, which is really almost a manifesto uh, and a vision for what you see and where you seem hell-bent to take Hill Holiday.
2: First of all, uh, Matt, thank you for that question because it's it's I think the most important thing um, that our business and any business in our country is facing. And you mentioned I'll just say that <laughs> unfortunately, the epidemic of systemic racism is nothing new, um, and 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 certainly nothing new in our country. And like a lot of industries, um, you know, the first thing we've really got to do in advertising is to, as an industry is to own our failure. And so, you know, we in particular, as an industry have great power and have great responsibility to shape culture. And um, as an agency, our pur- if our purpose is to create ideas that matter, then the people who create those ideas have to be representative of the culture. That we are helping to shape. So I think it's really important for all of us to first own our own failure. and that was sort of the first thing I wanted to establish by making um, making the letter, as you call it the manifesto, um, so public. and 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 then the other thing is we've got we've got to hold ourselves accountable. and we've got we've gotta hold ourselves accountable for building a better and a more just future and for Transforming our agencies and really our industry into more equitable places for Black and other BIPOC talent to to not just work but to thrive. And you know, I, I've been at Hill Holiday a long time, and I think what will be my legacy, Matt, is that we we will look different in a year and in 2 years and in 5 years and I am 100% committed to doing that the hard work um that we need to do to to achieve that equity that our people deserve and so all of this was underway at Hill Holiday this was a uh, a priority of mine pre George Floyd murder last year which is sort of when this really rose to I think uh to the top of a lot of people's agendas Um, And I remember years ago, I went to an event, um, I think it was New York Times deal book. Anyway, Melanie Hobson gave a keynote. It was the first time I'd seen anybody give a keynote there. And she talked about how, um, how diversity, equity and inclusion is the only corporate goal where um, CEOs are, are where it's tolerated that CEOs can kind of kick the can down the road and say, well, I, I didn't achieve my goal this year, but I'll try again next year. And can you imagine doing that for revenue or some of your financial goals? And so I wrote the letter. I read it to the agency and a live town hall. I posted to the website last year. I signed on to what. Every uh, industry organization, you know, 600 and rising um, in for 13, uh, you know, 4As, everything, you know, a lot of them were formed over the summer specifically to hold agencies accountable. And and I've shared all of our diversity data publicly um, to just keep us accountable. And, and I'll just say that although it was always a priority, the real lesson I learned last year personally is that while equity, diversity, and inclusion have always been tremendously important to me. It's not about intention. It's about action. And so that is the lesson that I personally learned. And that is what drove me to be so public and to commit publicly to doing the hard work to make real lasting change. So it's, it's really not enough to have that intention as Melanie Hudson says, to kick the can down the road. It's about action. And what are you doing?
0: Well, I got to tell you, I read the whole thing and I thought your level of candor and bluntness and those words that you just said, moving from intention to action, and you call it a reckoning, and it absolutely is a reckoning. And you can look back over our lifetimes, we're about the same age. And, you know, there were so many areas where you can feel that we've made progress. I mean, I still remember crying when. You know, when President Obama was elected and I said, I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. And yet, in so many ways, we are still where we were going back to the fight that people like Congressman John Lewis and others led all those years ago.
2: Well, and I think if you're a white person in a predominantly white environment, whether that's work or where you live or whatever, you could have missed it. You know, you could have you missed it. But I think if you're BIPOC, particularly Black, you know, th- as I said, this is nothing new. You know, systemic racism is nothing new. I think the reckoning around it, getting sort of everybody's attention at a certain point in time and obviously still going on. And I, I think um, it, it's going to, this trial is so important because, uh, you know, how many times have we been, disappointed and uh, enraged by the outcome of, of such trials. So, so we'll, you know, we'll see what happens, but we we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, We've all got a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, did a lot of reading about you young lady (laughs) and I want to go back to the year 1982 and just to set the stage Ronald Reagan was our president. Jimmy Connors beat John McEnroe that year to win Wimbledon. Michael Jackson released Thriller. And Argentina and the UK were at war over the Falkland Islands. So that takes us back to 1982. Mm -hmm. And in July of 1982, thinking that you were taking a temporary job just to earn some money to go to law school you become a receptionist at Hill holiday what do you remember looking back on that very first day almost 40 years ago
2: well it is and it's hard it's hard to believe uh, it's it's you know it's so funny when you tick through that list Matt my I just you know, I got, I put myself right back there. And, um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I, um, you know, even before, even before my first day, I, I will just tell you a little story about, um, when I got hired that, um, had a profound impact on, uh, the whole rest of my career to this day. And, um, so when, so when I, um, interviewed for the and by the way the thing you left out was the um the unemployment rate was um we we were it was double digit it was worse in Massachusetts than anywhere um no no one was getting a job none of my peers were getting jobs and um so so my you know when I interviewed for the receptionist position I I didn't I really didn't know anything about advertising I I was looking for sort of a low, low impact, low commitment job that was kind of like nine to five, and because I was, um, I had intended to go to law school, um, but I needed to, you know, to take some time, study for the LSAT, apply to law school, and save up some money um, to be able to begin to pay for it, because uh, you know, because that's where I was at at the time. So, anyway, what what happened was. Um, when I was hired, our fa- our founder, our, our we were founded by four gentlemen, um, one of whom, uh, Jack Connors, is. Uh, um, I still talked. I we emailed yesterday. I talked to him all the time. But when he hired me as the receptionist, he said, um, "And remember, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking this was. Uh, I was just thinking this was some job." He said, "Congratulations, Karen. You are now the face and the voice of Hill Holiday." And the way he framed that receptionist job as the face and the voice of Hill Holiday really stopped me in my tracks. And I realized, okay, this isn't just some job. This is a big responsibility. And because he took it seriously, I took it seriously. And I remember thinking uh, the face and the voice of Hill Holiday, that sounds like something really important that the CEO should be responsible for. And so at that moment, I decided I would consider myself the CEO of the reception desk. And that's how I approached the job. And then when I was promoted to the next job, um, I consider myself the CEO of that. And I consider myself the CEO of every one of the 20 jobs I've had at Hill Holiday. I always say I had the same 20 jobs everybody my age has had. I've just been lucky enough to have had them all at Hill Holiday. And, um, and that, that really was the motivation that has really carried me through to, to your point, almost 40 years later. And it it changed the way I thought about everything I did and everything I strove to do. And it really always kind of propelled me forward. So, so I will say like, if you've ever, uh, wondered whether any of your words of encouragement matter to, to a young person, I can tell you they really matter. And, uh. You know, of course, Jack doesn't remember saying it, but uh, I remind him all the time. But so I I was always I took that job very seriously. And I remember when I got off the elevator to interview, uh, it was there was a vibe and an energy that uh, and he was interviewing. He had interviewed 40 Jack Connors himself had interviewed 40 candidates before me. And so actually, part of it was I wanted to meet him. And part of it was that I just wanted to see if I get the job. I was kind of competitive. Um, But he, you know, obviously, I think I showed up a little early, he might have kept me waiting. He's a busy person. And I was able to observe. And there were some hallway meetings. And I was able to kind of listen and observe. And I felt very connected to the energy and the vibe. And I was like, right away, it kind of caught my attention. I was like, okay, this is I could spend some serious time here. Never in a million years did I contemplate spending my entire career um, at one place. But I did feel like I could could do something in this place. This is a special place.
0: Karen, since you mentioned Jack, one of the things that Hill Holiday has gained a reputation for over the years that's endured is a great culture. And the agency is a little over 50 years old. What is it? About the Hill Holiday culture and the four founders, Jack and Hill Holiday and Cosmopolis. What was it about the four founders and what they brought that instilled such a tremendous culture there and that's still there all these years later?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you. um, So I came uh, something like 16 years after um, the agency was founded. The agency was founded in 1968. Um, and the, it's so interesting because, um, the four of them were so different, but they all brought something and no disrespect intended to, um, the other three, but I will say Jack was the youngest. He was 25 years old when the agency was founded, but he was always, I mean, by the time I got there, I think Alan holiday had left after, you know, six months. I don't even know that he got through the first year. He just wasn't, didn't, wasn't, I don't know. He just wasn't for him. And I think he actually ended up teaching at BU. I think he had a pretty successful career teaching at BU. Um, Steve Cosmopolis had come and gone. And when I came, he had started his own, he had, he had left, started his own agency and then he'd come back. He didn't work for us, but he had an office and he, he used to see kids. Uh, you know, he look at kids' portfolios. He was very generous with his time, but he was also famous for get for getting to work at like four in the morning. Like Steve knew all the, um, you know, like the the staff, like the security staff and the and the and the janitorial staff because he used to get to work at like four o'clock. So the first I remember the first day when I started, we used to, we, we I was told to show up at eight thirty, and there were like six kids in the lobby with their portfolios cause he had told him to show up at like 435, 536. And they were all like piled up like planes at LaGuardia waiting to see him. Um, and then there was Jay Hill who Jay and Jack were together for a long time and um, uh, just a completely different animal. But it, anyway, they all were amazing and they all brought something very different and they all made a different contribution. But I think when the agency started um, Jay, Jay said, I tell the story all the time and Jack has told it to me a million times, but Jack, so Jay was 35 when the agency was founded. Um, Jack was 25, as I said. So Jay was sort of older and wiser and e- each of them put in, I think, $1,500. And, and like Jack is very, always says, and I had to borrow mine. <laughs> and when they were deliberating about whether um, whether to start the agency, like whether or not, there were actually a lot of agencies in Boston at the time. So whether or not Boston could um, support and yet another ad agency, Um, Jay said something to Jack that, as I said, he's often repeated and I repeat to other people. And Jay said, you know, Jack, there will always be a market for quality. And so that that idea of quality, quality work um, was really, really important to our culture and our early culture. And, but I will say that um, compared to, the, particularly the other agencies in Boston, we were, in the early days, we were considered the street fighters. We were these scrappy, rowdy um, entrepreneurs, hustlers, and it was, you know, we would outthink, outwork, outsell anybody. And it was, some somebody once said, uh, uh, guy who worked for both agencies, a guy named Mike Wilder, who, uh, uh, great guy, passed away a few years ago. Anyway, he said, and and the other sort of big agency in town that eventually rolled up and became part of Arnold, but Humphrey Browning McDougall, he famously said going from HBM uh, to Hill Holiday was like going from the Boston Symphony Orchestra to the Grateful Dead. So that was sort of the culture that we were born from and the origin stories. There's so many, um, for our 50th anniversary, I, uh, asked Jack to come and just, uh, tell all the old stories because there's a purpose to all of them, but, um, just like super scrappy. And Jack used to say, we hire people who are smart and nice. I think he borrowed that from another giant industry who I can't think of who it was now, but, um, we, we were, um, it was like the the, the stories about um, like Jack. They were the, we were pitching the state tourism account in Maine, and and they were speeding to get to a meeting. Jack was behind the wheel, and he he um they got stopped by a state trooper, and just they couldn't afford the ticket. And so to get out of a ticket, Jack, uh, you know, takes this unsuspecting Maine state trooper through this the the tourism work and it was great work it was like everything was the abbreviation for Maine is me me so as everything ended in me it was just really great great work and so he takes he gets he talks to the guy and he goes and gets the portfolio case out of the trunk and takes the state trooper through each board uh like standing in the breakdown lane on the highway and of course you know not only did he get out of the ticket we won the business because it was a good way for him to practice and Uh, you know, like he, he he got a call once from somebody who said they saw him speak and they wanted to meet him. And it was like the head marketing guy, at Wang Laboratories, which was our, our biggest account back in the day. And the agency really grew, uh, the two companies grew together and he, he had never spoken where the guy thought he spoke, but he shows up anyway. And he's like, hi, I'm Jack Connors. And the guy looked at him. He's like, okay, so I'm not the Jack Connors you expected but I'm here. And so we ended up of course, like winning the business. And it was one of the biggest pieces of business we ever had propelled our growth. And then like he, he's, we were pitching, I think it was Marshall's and he sees the, a picture of the Cardinal on the CEO's desk, you know, this, and, and he places a call when he gets back to the office and pretends to be the Cardinal recommending that they hire Hill Holiday. Um, And and he was joking, but the guy bought it hook, line and sinker. And then so Jack couldn't kind of get out of it. So then eventually he confessed we won the business anyway. So it was like I got a million of these um, just amazing, amazing stories. But um, but I will say I will say this, Matt, back to your um, our conversation about, you know, equity, diversity and inclusion. And I, I say ED and I. Um, because I because I really believe equity is the most important thing. Uh, you know, it's not about the numbers; it's about you know getting to equity and, and a real power shift for people. But anyway, we were always um, deeply committed to equity, diversity, inclusion. Those were always core values, and and particularly for the era. And and I will say, we had a we had a daycare. We had our own daycare center that we built and opened in 1985. Um we, we, we were the first agency in the country, and I think probably the first um, company in the country to openly support a gay executive back in like 1990 when our, um, our then president, a guy named Jackson Solo, was on the cover of Fortune magazine under the headline Gay in Corporate America. Um, uh, you know, so, so we, we were like scrappy, but, and, and, but we had values and we lived our values. And so, um, and the way we talk about it today, which is, which is maybe 10 years old, we never articulated it from the beginning like this, but, but I think it's apt and in terms of like the whole, whatever, 53 years that we've been an agency, we say, um, we refer to, so we like to have fun with the H's that, you know, Hill Holiday, but we refer to our culture and our people as humble, hungry, and human. And that's, um, you know, like if you walk down the hall at Hill Holiday and say, uh, describe your culture, anybody will say humble, hungry, human. And we have humble, hungry, human awards. Like we really, um, it's like three simple words that um, I think really do a nice job of defining our agency and our, and our culture and the type of talent we attract. And so, uh, and, and, you know, humility is so important and it means, um, you know, we, we always are striving to do better and to be better. We don't think we know everything, you know, we're curious. Um, hungry means we're that, you know, curi- intellectually curious about, about everything about clients, business, about consumers, Um, about the impact we can make. Um, And, and human is, means, you know, empathy and connection and empathy and connection are so important to all the work that we do for our clients and how we treat our teammates and our communities. So, um, so the idea of um, equity is kind of, it's kind of baked into who we are and what we are and what we've always been. So we're, Pretty, I'm pretty proud of the culture.
0: Fantastic. So I'm going to give you two names. One is Bob Iger, who started as a weatherman at a, at a local station in Ithaca. Another is Mary Barra, who started working on the assembly line at General Motors, and Karen Kaplan. <laughs> and all three of you share a common history of starting on the bottom rung of the ladder and rising to the top rung very unique talk about now as you look back on that journey let's let's say it's you know 10 15 years from now and god willing we're all healthy and you're talking to grandchildren and they say grandma tell me about your you know your career i don't know if a little kid would say career but Tell me about your your journey. As you reflect, it's a long time, you know. Jimmy Connors hasn't won any tennis tournaments recently.
2: (laughs) Haven't heard from him in a while.
0: No. So what comes to mind as you look back over that journey?
2: Yeah, you know, first, first of all, I like time flies when you're having fun, Matt. And I can't believe it's. I can't believe it's been that long. And so, um, but I will say uh, it it was like uh, every five years, it was a brand new place. I I used to say, you know, and it's part of our industry, but very much part of the holiday. It's, you know, we kind of reinvented ourselves every five years. And so I used to say, it's like getting a new job without getting a new job. So there's been so much diversity and variety in terms of what I've been able to do. Um, and just the, de- by nature, the definition of, uh, you know, so I, I, I talk about conflicts as, uh, you know, kind of on the one hand, the bane of my existence, because they're growth limiting. You can, you know, having, being a, only being able to have one client in a category at a time. And, and we're really the only professional services, um uh business that where that's true. Like if you look at every other, you know, lawyers and, and public accountants and management consultants and you know run the run the whole gamut, um y- you know, you're able to kind of have a have a category expertise that you can deepen in mine. Uh, in ours, you get one client in each category and that's it. So it's both the bane of my existence <laughs> But it's also been such a gift because you get, you're like one day you're selling coffee and the next day you're in uh, investment management. And in, and it's so, it makes for such an interesting career. And I think when you're in our business for, for a long time, like, you know, like we both have, you get to a point where you get really skilled at drawing analogies and and parallels between seemingly t- disparate categories and it's like you've you may not have seen everything in that particular category but you've seen it in a like category and you can draw the analogy and i think that is not only are you adding value to your client's business you're um you know you're broadening your own skill set so there's no, you're always learning, you know, I, I feel like I've, there hasn't been a day in my career where I haven't learned something new. Um, I raised my hand all along the way. No one ever said no to me. I was given every opportunity um, I had people who believed in me to the point where sometimes I doubted myself and they would show me that they believed in me if, if there was some kind of an assignment that I thought was maybe beyond my capability at the time. And because they showed me they believed in me, I then believed in myself and I've tried to pay that forward. And so I, I just, I think, I think my journey has been, it, it's been such a rich um rewarding journey that there isn't you know sometimes people say what like what do you re- what's your biggest regret and I can't I just can't come up with one because there's a value to everything so I, I will say it's um it's just been and you know we've all been tested right we've all been tested I mean there have been years this past year uh, but it's uh you know there's always a new challenge and uh, I feel like I get smarter and better like every day. So what's the matter with that? That's a, that's a pretty good journey.
0: It absolutely is. You've had give or take 20 some odd different positions within hell holiday. Was there one that you look back that if you had to say, boy, I really love that job, a particular thing that you did. Mm-hmm. I know you've done everything.
2: You know, I I, I love this job. This is nothing wrong with this job, right. which, uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, it's funny because I never, I wasn't like one of those people who from day one, uh, it was never my goal to be CEO. I wanted to grow and learn and do more and better, but I never said I've got to go from receptionist to CEO. Like that's what I'm going to do. Um, but I have to say, Matt, this is a pretty good job. I like this one. And, And maybe my second favorite Maybe my second favorite was the receptionist, uh, which I uh, throwing humility to the wind. After I just talked about humble, hungry, and human, um, I will say I was a really good receptionist. <laughs> I mean, people tell me I run into people today who will say you were a really good receptionist, and um, and because I I really enjoyed it, and it was it was such a great place to start in our business, Matt, because. Um, it was such a central, I, I had like a great perch to, and I paid attention, I paid attention to everything. And um, I knew everybody's family. I knew every client, you know, everything was phone. There was no uh, internet, like there was no email. There was no, there weren't even like fax machines uh, back then. So, um, you know, I, I really, and, and we were, on uh, I think a floor and a half at the time and everybody walked by me. And um, I, it was just, uh, I took the job very seriously. I wanted to be the best receptionist. I think I was <laughs> again, throwing humility to the wind. And I love, I really loved it. And so I will say there were jobs. I, I was, I was in traffic. That was my, that's where I went after um, reception cause I, you, I couldn't type. And that was a real problem for a woman in the early eighties because you went like, you had to be a secretary. And so if you you couldn't type, you couldn't be a secretary. I got rejected. I think three people rejected me for their secretary. And um, anyway, I talked myself into this traffic assistant job. I have, I loved traffic. Traffic was, I mean, some people probably don't know what that is. It's like, I guess the precursor to project management but it was part of the um, creative department and um, you, (laughs) like you had an inordinate amount of power, like we were given out assignments, and um, you were all over the work. And um, it was, I loved that job, because it was very, very close to the work. I guess my favorite jobs were the ones where I was able to get um, closest to the work closest to our clients. And, um, but I, I don't, I'm not, to my earlier point about regrets, I don't think there was a job that I, um, that I didn't enjoy. So yeah,
0: Okay. That's a great answer. And you have sort of been through two phases of Hill Holiday's life. It was independent for many, many years. And then right around, I think it was 1998, uh, were bought by IPG. What do you remember from the pre-IPG period? And how did that change things? And I happen to be a huge fan of the leadership team at IPG, past and present, but how have they added to what Hill Holiday is and what you bring to your clients.
2: Yeah. So I I am a huge fan as well. And um, I will say that the team at IPG um, has a very different, well, you're familiar with them. They just have a very different philosophy and approach to their operating companies. Um, And so, and we're, they characterize us as an independent. We're not literally independent, but we're, uh, we, we don't, we report straight to, I report straight to IPG, so we don't report up through one of the uh, kind of big world groups. Um, so wh- I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. Jack Connors, who sold, who sold the agency to IPG, used to say uh, they've done everything, we've done everything we've said we were going to do, and they've done everything they've said they were going to do. And I will say that is still true today. And so um, I, I feel... Able to run the agency autonomously, uh, and we own another agency called EP and Co. that's headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina. Which is, um, uh, which is, you know, so they we I'm able to run the agencies almost as if they were independent on a day to day basis. But I really appreciate being part of IPG and having access to all their resources. Um, And having the support, um, you know, I I speak with, uh, you know, Philippe regularly, I speak with Ellen, uh, Philippe Krakowski, the CEO, I speak with Ellen Johnson, the CFO, Um, uh, you know, I I speak with Michael Roth, uh, just out of habit, you know, he's now chairman, Um, just like when I say smart and nice, when I talk about Hill Holiday smart and nice, IPG is the same, really good people, genuinely good people. And, um, and I, I feel like it's a, we have a great connection. Culturally, we're consistent. Um, They give us our space and um, they're there for whatever support uh, we've ever asked for. So I I have to say, I'm a huge fan of IPG and the team and uh, zero complaints. And, and not much, and to your, I forgot what your question was, to your question, not really indiscernible difference other than having access to, you know, things like Axiom and uh, global resources, which, you know, we don't have any um, global offices uh, outside the States, uh, it, you know, and it's the the resources that they represent are just world-class and best-in-class.
0: Yeah, and I think Michael... Uh, who I know reasonably well, and Philippe, who I know just a little bit, but you know that humanity, I think, is something that they both have, and class, and, and I and I I I can't say enough about him. I think Michael has uh, been an incredible leader for IPG, and I'm sure Philippe will carry that torch, you know, splendidly. For sure, way.
2: and and has been. So you know, I I was I. I had a conversation with Sleepright right after he got promoted. And, I, you know, we talked about how um, I, I always say I'm grateful to have become CEO in the agency I grew up in. And then I think it's probably infinitely more challenging to go to, bec- to become CEO of a place you've not grown up in or worked in and coming in as CEO and not not really um, knowing the place as intimately as, as I do did and philippe did and um but um they're good humans you are absolutely right yeah you are absolutely right and and i'll tell you we you know back to diversity equity inclusion you know i remember 10 12 years ago um ipg chose as like their tentpole event at can to do a women's breakfast which is mm-hmm. as you know immensely popular there's People line up at 6.30 in the morning, which is something in can. Uh, and it's not because they're up from the night before. And um, the, so I remember thinking, wow, this is, they have chosen this issue, uh, deliberately chosen this issue to lean in on as their, their big thing at can. And, and so, so Michael and Philippe have been um, staunch, staunch supporters of equity, diversity, inclusion for as long as I can remember.
0: Yeah, no, they have been, I think, leading and really ahead of the curve on gender in particular. I think they have really, really not only expressed intention, but action.
2: Very much so, very much so.
0: So you touched a little bit on the work and for someone who's been in a creative shop, and I know you have you know, many other practice areas now as the agencies evolved, But there must be some work over the years that when you look back on, you've had some incredible clients, and we won't talk about all the awards in the trophy case. But Mm -hmm. when you think about the work, what are some of your favorites as you look back over the years, looking at your client successes? Oh,
2: my God. Well, there's so much, Matt. First of all, I am very proud of all of our current work. And I actually think our work has never been better than it is right now. Um, That said, I make a practice of not naming my favorite child (laughs) and, um, but but I will, I would be happy to talk about some of my um, sort of all time favorite work over the almost four decades, right? So I'll I'll go back to the eighties and, You know, when we became the first Boston agency ever to win a Gold Lion, a can, and then later we won the Grand Prix and the uh, Palme d'Or and the work uh, for the work we did for John Hancock, the real life, real answers work.
1: Hey, Catherine, I want to tell you something very, very important. Daddy got a raise. That means I can buy you a sandbox, sliding board. What do you think? You think we should put some of it away? What do you know about the stock market? I love you, little Jenny Catherine. Guess what? Daddy got a raise.
2: That's what really put Hill Holiday on the map creatively and directed by Joe Pitka, by the way, before mm-hmm. Joe Pitka was Joe Pitka. Um, but that and that campaign ran for a good 20 years. And uh, and really, I think I can safely say changed um the way advertising looked, you know, we kind of turned the camera around, um, particularly in the, uh, you know, in that category, in the life insurance category, and we focused on real, real life, real customers, and um, th- that that sort of fly on the wall cinema verite. That was um, that that was very important work for um, for our client, for Hill Holiday, and for the industry, I think, and then. Um, and then you may or may not remember this, but in the early 90s, we became the first Boston agency to handle a major um, national automotive account when we launched Infinity to the mm-hmm. market, to sure. the U.S. market. And that work was pretty notorious. And so um, the, all the rocks and trees work and, and got that work got into the culture. And this is, again, really pre-internet and pre-social media, obviously, which so it's harder to do. Um, but, uh, it, but in little known fact, there was no car when we launched the brand. So Lexus had beat infinity to the market. So we had no, we couldn't show the car. So the rocks and trees were kind of, um, we didn't have a lot of choice, but a- anyway, we were also introducing the concept, right? Of Japanese um, luxury to the country, which is which is very different from American or German luxury. And anyway, so I'm very proud of that work and then and then uh, in the, what do we call it? The aughts, in the early aughts, we, um, we created back-to-back uh, number one Super Bowl spots for Budweiser in 2002 and 2003. And um, both spots um, leveraged the Clydesdales as a brand asset, but in very different ways. In 2002, it was just after September 11, So it was a very solemn, Uh, execution. It featured the Clydesdales um, bowing in respect at the site um, of where the World Trade Center towers had come down on September 11th. And then the next year, the 2003 spot was was humorous and and but also met a cultural moment at the time, and this was when instant replay was sort of controversial and football was being hotly debated.
1: This referee's a jackass. No, I believe that's a zebra.
2: So so anyway, both spots were named to top five best lists in Super Bowl uh, advertising history, and we we cracked the code on the Clydesdales. And uh, as I said, kind of figured out how to really leverage them as a brand asset uh, for Anheuser Bush. And that was pretty important. And also something I'm proud of. And then, um, and then I'll say more recently, um, Duncan, you know, we gave Duncan its permanent place in culture with America runs on Duncan, which is, which has proven to be much bigger than an advertising tagline and has has I think we introduced it in 2005 or 2006. It's really stood the time test of time, and uh, you know, it's. I think they've had four CEOs, five CMOs, three or four different private equity firms, and IPO. Um, anyway, and it now lives on. You know, it it lives on, and then uh, and then I would say I I wouldn't want to forget the work we did an amazing canon of work over 20 plus years for Bank of America, and particularly. Um, in the in the wake of the during and in the wake of the financial crisis, how we partnered with them at, at a very tricky time.
1: Before they sat down one more time, just for themselves. Before the last grandchild graced the stage. Before Katie and her husband hit that rough patch. Before Kevin finally came home, and the first grandchild arrived. Before the sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, and Brad's brief brush with the law. Before the second British invasion. Before Katie, Debbie, Kevin, and Brad. Before they became a family. There was a connection that started it all and made the future the wonderful thing It turned out to be, we know we're not the center of your life, but we'll do our best to help you connect to what is,
2: you know, you've got to be very smart about what you do and do not have permission to do and to talk about in marketing and advertising at a time like that. So, um, so I think, I think, uh, you know, that, that's a lot of stuff that I'm very proud of.
0: That's a a great list. And, and I remember the, the Budweiser spot in particular, like it was yesterday. And it's amazing how time flies, but you know, that emotional power of what great campaigns can do that will stay with you.
2: Yeah. I think powerful, creative, really, really smart that is like strategically correct. And we're like really well, well crafted and connected to culture and really gets weaves its way into the conversation is it can do amazing things. It just can be so, so powerful beyond, you know, of course building clients brands and driving their business is our number one objective, but it can really do like, that was a really important moment of healing for the country. And um, I, that was helpful to people. So something to be proud
0: of. Absolutely. So you talked earlier about how you love sort of the vantage point of being the receptionist and seeing everything and hallway meetings and everybody walking by your desk. Now you're leading a company as chairman and CEO from your living room. Yeah. And you have not been to the office. I think you told me you're going next week for the first time.
2: Monday.
0: How has it been for you emotionally to keep yourself up? Part of your job is to be you know, the football coach, the manager of the baseball (laughs) club, you're the manager of the Red Sox, right? And you've got to keep your players motivated. You've got to keep them up. You've got to be there when they have problems, when things in their lives are not going as well. And mental health has very much moved from the fringe to the center of our culture and willingness to talk about mental health. Talk about your journey the past year leading a company when you're not with any of your people in the way that all of us are used to?
2: Well, as you're talking, I peeled this little sticky note off of the little box that I've got this crazy set up so I can stand at my screen. And uh, I got it, I don't know, no, remember where I got it, but it says number one, care, number two, listen, and number three, learn. And so that was, you know, because if, you know, when, when COVID, when we first went home uh, and COVID first hit, we didn't, no one knew how to lead through it, right? No one, you know, this was, I used to have a bank America client who used to, who used to say, MB, NBDBs, never been done before. So that's what, you know, he would want to, <laughs> and this was an MBDB of epic proportions and i mean not only did we not know how to lead through it we didn't even know what we were in for i remember in the very early days that um even before we sent people home sort of deliberating about whether or not to cancel our weekly fruit delivery and and like worrying about how people were going to live without their bananas and it was like wow that escalated quickly so, you know, that first week, I remember being on the phone with our travel person because um, it was a Friday night and we had a team shooting uh, commercials in Portugal. They were on, on their way. They were flying to Portugal to shoot and uh, they close the borders. And so we had to get those people back. I mean, it was like so <laughs> escalated quickly, right? So So for me, um, the the main questions were, how do you run a creative business that is idea-based and that really operates through face-to-face in-person collaboration? How do you do that remotely? And how do you give people a sense of safety um, and to your point, not just physical safety, which at the time was very, very important, um, but also emotional safety um, so they can continue to do their jobs and do them well. And, and I have to say, we were very lucky in one respect because, as we were talking about earlier, we have a very strong culture. And because we have a very strong culture, um, people were able to adapt pretty quickly quickly and pretty well to the challenges. And when you have a strong culture, it's um, people kind of just know what to do. to some degree, they kind of can go on autopilot to some degree. and despite all the uncertainty, I just I just stayed focused on our people and and we all did my executive leadership team and we were really determined to make sure that people, Um, Continue to feel connected to each other, and continue to feel connected to our clients and to our work. Um, And and that wasn't easy, obviously. But but we, you know, we had to do back to my little sticky. I knew that I had to do two really important things. I had to, I had to care, and I had to listen very closely to understand um, what exactly were the challenges that our people were facing, and to be able to address those challenges wherever and however I could, and then to create a sense of connection uh, and keep that sense of connection going, um, even as everyone was working from their respective homes by bringing the agency together as often as possible, however possible, and, and just continuous two-way communication. So um, just to, to really stay attuned to what, what, what was most important to the wellness of our people and our clients and our business? and what did people need at that particular moment? Because it moved, right? It moved all year. And so 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 day one, from working from home, I launched a survey that um, which I knew for people to take the time to do it, it had to be brief. So we asked just two questions. How are you doing? Physically, emotionally, and from a technology perspective. And what can the agency do to help you? And how are your clients doing physically, emotionally, and from a technology perspective? And what can the agency do to help them? And people wrote such thoughtful, it was all, you know, just those two open-ended questions. And people wrote such thoughtful um, responses. And those um, answers I used to read, no matter, in, in the early days, you know, the day didn't end. And so even if it was two in the morning, I wouldn't go to bed before I read. There were hundreds of responses every day and I would read them all. And then that listening became my um, North star for the decisions I was going to have to make the next day. And, and our teams were just in constant communication with clients. And we had a client survey as well to make sure we were meeting and, and, and exceeding the needs of their businesses. and then. From all that listening, I, I sent an all agency email out every day for the first hundred days of the pandemic. And I remember when we got to hundred days, I thought, okay, it's been hundred days. You don't, I'm not going to write an email every day. You don't need to hear from me every day. And I got a bunch of replies saying, oh no, we really want, you know, I just was kind of like, I don't need to clog up your inboxes, but every day was a diff. There was, there were diff, like, there were diff, very different things to address. And In the beginning it was COVID information. So don't forget, nobody knew who to listen to. And so people were listening to their CEOs and their leadership teams. So information about COVID and um, return to work information and just like telling them they could, how they could come to the agency to pick up their chairs because their backs hurt or their monitors or their keyboards or whatever. And sometimes just, I would just write about, you know it's okay not to be okay, and and I I wrote about wellness resources um, that we were making available, and and I have to say IPG stepped up and made so many wellness resources available to our people, and I shared updates on the business and and it, it, through the whole thing I just knew that I knew people need, I wanted to make it clear that well being was our number one priority people's well being and. And then to try to maintain that energy and that se- sense of normalcy, we had all agency meetings on Zoom every Friday, and we still do, in fact, and kind of tried to replicate that sense of community that we all had when we were all together. We, we I have a thing where we share n- news, good news, bad news in person. So we would always call an all agency meeting when we won a piece of business, when we lost a piece of business. Um, as opposed to writing an email. So that was sort of my orientation. So how do you replicate that sense of community? Um, and, and then we put a whole bunch of things in place to, to try to respond to whatever hardships people were, um, we, we gave three separate, um, stipends, of uh, uh for for a total of $1,000 to every employee over the course of the year at three different times to really just help alleviate whatever hardships they were facing. My ELT and I took salary reductions so we could fund our regularly scheduled promotion cycle. Um, We added resources to help manage the workloads. We added additional training and development, like how to manage from afar, wellness programs that I talked about, people, just helping people deal with the... um, the added stress and the anxiety. We had parenting seminars. We had, we offered free um, family counseling, individual counseling sessions that was through IPG, just really whatever we could try to do to be helpful. We have daily quiet hours that we instituted pretty early and still have from 12 to one and meetings uh, are prohibited. and, And that's when employees can take time for themselves without interruption. So whether you're you know, helping your kids with schoolwork, or you're taking a walk or doing yoga, or you're just trying to get your work done without interruption. So, so we just, you know, that, that that yellow sticky has been on my care, listen and learn that yellow sticky has been on my, uh, you know, on my desk for a long time.
0: Well, it sounds like you've done an incredible job. And I think this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to you.
2: So great to talk to you, Matt. Thank you.